Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. <laughs> <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Olivia Hewitson about the births of both her sons, Bo and Leo. Olivia also takes us through finding out that her second son, Leo, had a condition that they were not expecting. So at a 41-week growth scan, she found out that Leo would have some form of dwarfism, which they wouldn't know for sure until he was born. She takes us through their journey from there, and I'm really grateful that Olivia took the time to share with us. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Olivia. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, no worries. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And would you like to tell us a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yeah, sure. Um, There is myself, Olivia, and my husband, Matt. And we have our two boys, Bo, who has just turned four, and Leo, who is two. And we also have my stepson, Christian, who lives with us, and he is 14. Awesome. Lovely. And what part of New Zealand do you live in? We are in the Sunny Bay of Plenty in Tauranga. Beautiful. Very cool. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys the first time around? Um, It was relatively easy, I suppose you could say. Um, We were traveling around Europe and we just, I decided that um, it was a good time to start a family together. So we had that chat and then I think it was about six months um, after coming off the pill that I fell pregnant with Bo. So um, not the quickest journey, but also not the longest either. So I think it was a good amount of time to prepare for the pregnancy and everything that came with it. Yeah. Awesome. And how did you find out that you were pregnant? Did you have many early symptoms or you missed a period? I think I missed a period and it was just before Christmas and I was at a Christmas party um, and I just decided that I needed to do a pregnancy test that night. And um, yeah, and that's how I found out. So yeah, I think it was the missed, the missed period for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And did you have many symptoms in your first trimester with that pregnancy? Yes. <laughs> um, I was <laughs> yeah, quite, quite a bit of sickness, never to the point of vomiting thank goodness but um it was kind of just like a constant hangover all day every yeah. day for the first trimester which I'm sure most mums will understand it's not easy <laughs> yeah yeah and how did you go from there did that sort of settle down around the second trimester or did it last for the whole pregnancy I was pretty lucky in that it did it settled down a lot in the second trimester so it was basically just the first one that that was the hard work and then it was smooth sailing from there really. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And did you decide to go with a midwife as your primary caregiver or what was that experience like? 
Yep. I had a midwife for both of my pregnancies. Um, the first one, we were actually living up in Auckland. So I had a midwife up there and then we decided to um, move down to Taronga quite late in my pregnancy. So I had to find a midwife down here. Um, and that, that transition worked really, really well. Uh, it, yeah, I, I was lucky to find a, an amazing midwife that time round. And then unfortunately, she wasn't actually doing midwifery anymore when it came time for my second pregnancy. So I couldn't have her again, which was a shame. So I had to find mm. another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how were you feeling sort of emotionally throughout that pregnancy? Were you doing all of the normal testing that we do in New Zealand or what was that experience like? Yeah, no, I was um, feeling really, really good about that one. It was, um, everything was really straightforward from what I can remember. And I just, I felt good. I mean, once that first trimester was gone, um, I felt good. We, we didn't do any of the testing or anything, um, but he was just, yeah, such a healthy looking baby. So we were, everything was, everything was really good with that one. Yeah. And did you do any antenatal classes or anything like that before you went into labor? Yes, I did. I got involved with one up in Auckland while I was still living up there and I found it really helpful. Um, I think, I mean, there's probably so many different antenatal classes you can get, but apparently the one that I went to, I can't remember the name of it, um, but apparently it was quite good. So I signed up to that and I did found, find it really helpful because it was really hands-on. Um, we just kind of got, you know, like I just remember as soon as we started, the very first thing we had to do before the teacher even spoke to us or anything, she just sent us off um, with these baby dolls and with these nappies and clothes and all this. And she, and she said, <laughs> you need to change your baby's nappy and you need to get it dressed in, you know, in the right order of clothes. And it was actually surprising how stressful that was. And, yeah. you know, and she, and she kind of said, well, this is, this is what you have to do. You get given your baby and you need to put a nappy on it. So you need to know how to put a <laughs> nappy on and you need to know how to dress it. So um, it was, yeah, I found, I found that kind of, antenatal class really really helpful it just it threw us in the deep end but it was great because it's what we needed yeah awesome and did you end up going into labor spontaneously with Bo do you want to take us through that um yes I did it happened at around four o'clock yeah four o'clock in the afternoon it started happening and I was I think I was about five days overdue so not too bad um but yeah. I was very very ready for him to arrive <laughs> And yeah. Yeah, it started at around four and then I think I was in the hospital by about eight o'clock in the evening. And then it was quite a long labor. Um, yeah, it, I think the labor lasted about eight hours, which, okay, let's be fair that maybe that isn't long compared to some people, but <laughs> um, it, there was a, I spent a lot of that time pushing, um, which made it seem like a really long long labor because it was um a lot of time pushing because he got stuck so um but yeah that all happened spontaneously no induction for that one yeah and so did you end up deciding to go with pain relief because you were pushing for so long or do you want to take us through that sort of birth experience yeah um I didn't actually use any pain relief with Bo the plan had always just been to go with the flow um, and just see what happened. I didn't really have much of a birth plan. It was just, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And if I needed an epidural, then I would ask for one and everything like that. But by the time I got there, they said, 
you know, it's probably too late for an epidural um, anyway. So that was fine. I didn't do that. And then I tried the gas and it actually made me feel quite sick. So yeah. I didn't do I didn't do the gas either. Um, I just labored in the in the pool for a little bit. And yeah, so I did I did it without any pain relief and I felt every minute of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was hard work. Yeah, and you mentioned just before that he got stuck. Was he a big mm. baby or he was just in a slightly wrong position? Yeah, I don't I don't really know why he took so long to come out. Um, but I did end up getting an episiotomy. He wasn't that yeah. big. He was he was eight pounds. Yeah, eight point two pounds, I think. Um, so not huge, but he just kept going back up. Um, so they ended yeah. up getting him out with the with the suction thing, the ventouse. Um, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, so I got the episiotomy, and then they they got him out with the ventouse. Hmm. Yeah, painful experience. <laughs> yeah, and did you end up? After he was born, needing stitches in the room, or did they have to take you to theatre to stitch you up? Uh, they just did it quite quickly in the room. Um, it didn't take yeah. too long. I think by that point there was probably about eleven people in there, though. It was just <laughs> there was so many people, but I was kind of um, in and out of consciousness. Like I just, yeah, I'd reached the point where I just didn't really know what was going on. So I don't yeah. really remember much of that, but I just remember that there were quite a few people there for some reason. I don't know why they needed so many people, but it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a room full. Yeah. And did they pop him straight up onto your chest for skin to skin or what was that like meeting your new baby? Yep. He came straight to me. Um, and it was just literally the best feeling in the world. It was just, <laughs> it was so amazing. Um, I was just so happy to have him here and, then we got moved into a room for the night, um, into a shared room, which was not much fun. Didn't get any sleep yeah. at all because the woman next to me was snoring so much. Um, oh no! <laughs> so, and I was just on a high as well. You know, you just you can't really sleep after having a baby. <laughs> so yeah. I was just awake all night, staring at him. And then we went off to birth care in the morning. Yeah, awesome. And how long did you spend at birth care? I think I did two nights there. Um, yeah. Your partner's allowed to stay for the first night, so he stayed with me that night. And then the second night, um, from what I remember, is just is just for the mums. So, um, so, yeah, I had two nights there, and that was absolutely amazing. It was when the Bethlehem Birth Centre had just opened, and I think I was probably one of the first people to stay there. Oh, it was oh, lovely. such an incredible experience. It was like staying in a really top hotel. Like they just <laughs> looked after you so well and the food was amazing. So yeah, I um I really wanted to go back there for my second pregnancy, but that just that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. did you um try to latch bow on? Was were you planning to try and breastfeed? How did you go with that? Yeah, we did really well with that. Um I, I'm pretty sure when we were at birth care, I think I had a lactation consultant come in and help me a little bit. And yeah, um, yeah but if, if like since then it was it was fine, and we did a solid eight months, I think, of breastfeeding. Um, yeah. And then we just kind of weaned off, I think, because I was I started back at work, and um, he ended up just wanting the bottle so we went with that 
Yeah. Oh, awesome. And how did you go taking him home in those first couple of weeks with a newborn baby? How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was, it was really incredible. I loved it. It was, it was, yeah, it was just a really good time. I think when you have your first baby, it's, well, for me, it was quite easy because I could just take him with me wherever I went and I just put him in the, you know, the, the little um, sling that I had. And I just kind of went about what I was doing before, but with a little baby attached to me. So he was, <laughs> he was amazing. He was such a good sleeper. He, he was literally the perfect little baby um, and he just fit right into our life. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. Lovely. And how was your physical recovery from your episiotomy? How did you find that? That was quite painful. Um, I just remember really, really hard to like even get into the car to go home from hospital yeah. was was really, really hard. And yeah, it, t- it took a while to heal down there. So just lots of, you know, just keeping like sp- someone taught me a trick about spraying um a water bottle when you go to the uh, toilet yeah. just to take away that sting but yeah it was it was definitely a very painful experience having to have that um you know it was something that I was absolutely dreading for my next pregnancy but um sorry my next birth but yeah luckily that didn't have to happen again yeah and were you planning on trying to get pregnant the second time around do you want to take us through that yep that was a planned one um happened much sooner than I thought it would because um, I, I had gone back onto the pill, so I came off the pill, and it literally happened the next month. So um, oh, that wow. was quite a shock because I was kind of expecting it to take a few months, like it had with Bo. So um, yeah, that that was <laughs> quite the shock. <laughs> yeah, and did you have the same first trimester sickness that you had with Bo? Yes, I did. Um, it was pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, just that constant nausea. Yeah, which was good because I kind of knew what to expect and I, and I was thinking, okay, yeah. surely it's only going to last the, the first trimester. So that was good. And yeah, it finished at about the same time as well. So very, very, very similar. Yeah. Awesome. And did you decide to do the testing that was offered this time around? Um, no, we didn't. We didn't do the testing this time around either. Um, no real reason for it. Just, yeah, obviously we just thought it wouldn't really change anything anyway. So we just... Yeah. Didn't do it. Yeah. Awesome. And how did you go about finding a midwife this time? I know you said your um midwife wasn't available for your second pregnancy, so Yeah. Um I found it quite hard because there were so many of them that were already booked up and it's not like I left it yeah. late or anything, but it just seemed a lot harder than it did the first time. So I actually went to my previous midwife and asked her for a recommendation. Um because I just didn't really know what to do and the one that she recommended was free. So, um, yeah, so I went with that one. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And did you go to any antenatal classes or anything like that this time around, or you sort of felt like you had it all sorted? Yeah, I didn't No, I didn't do it this time around. Um, because I kind of, I guess you feel like you kind of know what you're in for. Um, even though each baby's going to be completely different, but I knew the basics. Yeah. So I didn't really feel the need to go back. Yeah. And do you want to take us through sort of your experience from about 40 weeks? And I know I've read your blog. Um, so yeah. I know that you ended up getting a scan at 41 weeks. So do you want to take us through that experience? Yeah. So obviously this time around was very different to my first pregnancy. Um, so I reached about, I think I was about seven days overdue and 
um, my midwife decided to just, I think I'd had two stretch and sweeps and they hadn't brought on the labour. So she just sent me for a scan just to make sure everything was okay in there. Um, you know, that's a fairly routine thing to do um, once you yeah. reach that point. So I went for the scan and that was when everything changed um, and everything kind of went a bit pear-shaped really. And yeah. the... I'm not really sure what you'd call it, but the um, or the the ultrasound technician, he, I was because I was there on my own and my husband was at home, um, looking after Bo because Bo was really sick. So I went off there on my own just to get a check, and that's when yeah the technician noticed that, uh, the baby's arms and legs hadn't grown as they were supposed to, um yeah, but that's what they can really tell you they um you know. He's not a. He's not qualified to say any more than that. So that, sure, that's what he yeah. could tell me. Yeah. So, and then from there, and um, he made me an appointment at the. Oh, I think he called me my my midwife, and she made me an appointment at the hospital. So we yeah we went in for our appointment, and it was the doctor who brought us into the room and told us that he was ninety nine percent sure that the reason that the baby's arms and legs hadn't grown was because it was going to have a form of dwarfism. Um, and he was quite sure it was achondroplasia, which is in fact what Leo has. Um, but it was kind of impossible to really know until he was there. Um, and then he kind of said, you can either go home and wait um, until the baby decides to come. No, actually, he didn't give me an option. That's what they said I had to do, and I and I refused to go home. I said, "There's no way I can go home with this information yeah. without a baby. Um, I need, you know, this, yeah. it won't be good for anybody. I won't be able to sleep. I won't be able to do anything." So, um, so I said, "I need to be induced," and that's how that started. Um, so yeah, I was induced with Leo. They broke my waters, and. That yeah, then eight hours. It was the same. About eight hours. Eight hours later, Leo was born. Yeah, and did you have an epidural this time? No, I didn't. Um, the funny thing about Leo's birth is that had I known earlier that Leo had a chondroplasia, then the birth plan would have changed because it's very uncommon to give birth vaginally to a baby with a chondroplasia. Um, purely oh, okay. because of their head size and the risks yeah. involved with pushing a, a size out like that. Um, so generally, if it's known beforehand, then a C-section is planned. But because yeah. we just didn't have any time for that and because it's probably very likely that, you know, the doctors and the midwife hadn't dealt with this before, they didn't know that. So we just went straight into delivering him vaginally and I didn't ask for an epidural because I I still didn't think I'd need one because I hadn't really considered the fact that um it was going to be a bit more painful probably pushing him <laughs> out but um yeah no so that oh but I did use the gas this time um yeah. and it didn't make me feel like it did the first time but I actually found that it really helped this time so so yeah that that kind of got me through that <laughs> Yeah, and I can only imagine that it would have been yeah such a shock, and then all of a sudden you're being induced and going into labour and sort of giving birth to your baby. So, how did you find you sort of coped or dealt with all of your different emotions while you were going through your labour and and giving birth? 
it is it's actually you know what it's such a blur like it was so clear in my mind for so long and I'm glad I wrote it all down because um there was so many emotions and I'm finally getting to the point now where I'm kind of moving past that which is really great because it was just yeah that moment was just stuck in my head for so long um about how everything went and I guess yeah shock is just the is exactly right that's what it was it was just so much shock um wondering how it had happened and wondering if it was something that I had done that had caused it yeah um, you know all these things like how wasn't it picked up you know like if I'd had the test done could it have been picked up but um the truth is with with a contraplasia it's very hard to pick it up um at the 20 week scan it's it doesn't there's no cause for concern at the 20 week scan so it's not picked up and that that yeah. test actually doesn't test for dwarfism anyway um so yeah. it wouldn't have been picked up but yeah there was just a lot of shock um but you know once you're in the throes of labor you're really just focusing on getting your baby out and getting your baby out safely yeah. so that is really what i was focused on and then i just kind of thought you know, we'll deal with everything else once he's here. Um, but I just needed to, I just needed to make sure he had arrived safely and that, and that his form of dwarfism was what we'd hoped for because there are, there's over, I think it's over 200 types of dwarfism and chondroplasia is the, is the most common form. So that's obviously the one that we were hoping for because, um, there's a lot of types that are, that are lethal types and the baby won't yeah. last, you know, won't survive long after birth. So there was always that fear as well. Um, but once he was there, it was very obvious the type that he had. Yeah. And did you have a big team of sort of people in the room after he was born checking him over or what was that process like? I think so because, but but not really because of his condition. It was more the fact that when, as he was coming out, um, he had actually pooped everywhere and obviously that uh, um, yeah. is can be quite dangerous in case they inhale it or however that works so they were monitoring yeah. him for that and that's why they um that's why they wanted to keep us in um I think we stayed in there for like two yeah we stayed there for two nights but it was more because they were watching for that which is why I didn't get to go to the birth care um, like I'd wanted to because you've obviously got to get there within the first 24 <laughs> hours or something like that. So I didn't get to make it there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what they were monitoring for. And then I guess then they kind of realized, or I don't know. If, I mean, it's, it's really hard to know if how much the doctors knew about Leo's condition before he arrived. Or yeah. If, you know, I don't know. Maybe they had to go away and do a bit of research on it. Um, but one of the, one of the issues with, a contraplasia is sleep apnea so they can actually stop breathing in their sleep um yeah so of course that was another thing for them to worry about so so yeah they, there were there were people coming in and checking his breathing whether it be for the apnea or for the fact that he might have inhaled some um is it called meconium i can't remember meconium um, yeah 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 so but it was never a big team of people coming in and checking them and i think that I think it's just because they knew that I, I needed some space as well. So it was only yeah. ever, um, a few people coming in at once and just um, just checking on him, really making making sure everything was okay. 
Yeah. And when you were allowed to go home from the hospital, what was that experience like? Did you have sort of some guidance on what to expect that might be different from Bo or what what did you do from there? So they set me up with a paediatrician while I was in the hospital and any questions that I had, I kind of, I asked her about, um, but it was all very new for her as well. She hadn't she hadn't dealt with anybody with this condition before so it was kind of new for both of us but obviously she was in a better space to be doing the research for me and looking into it so um everything I asked um everything I needed to know I kind of went to her and I think it was it must have been through her that we were set up with an occupational therapist so the first yeah, the first few weeks getting home were really full on because we had, I mean, two days after we left the hospital, we had to go back for our first appointment with the paediatrician. And then we had yeah. the occupational therapist wanting to come around and we had a home nurse that wanted to come around. Um, we had just had all these appointments. And then, of course, there's Plunkett as well that wanted to see him. So I ended up, I actually ended up cancelling the Plunkett appointments because I kind of thought, um, you know, like I think she came to one home visit and I quickly realized that it just wasn't really worth worthwhile. You know, she's busy trying to mark yeah. him on this yeah. on this plot and it's and he just doesn't fit yeah. on that plot. So yeah. um yeah, so I, I I stopped doing those and I just stuck with the pediatrician and the occupational therapist. Um and that was yeah, it was really full on. Um just so many appointments to get to and the occupational therapist was probably the most helpful she was the one that sorted us out with um the right car seat for him um because it was important um we we really had to monitor his neck he didn't have the strength that a typical baby would have um yeah and and keeping his spine straight was really important so um there were yeah, there was there were resources that we would need, and um, it was great because she had dealt with um a child with a contraplasia before, so she kind of had a bit of background knowledge. Yeah, which I found really useful. Yeah, and how were you sort of feeling? I know we've talked a lot about Leo and what that was like taking him home, but how were you going at processing everything that you'd sort of been through in the last couple of weeks? And then obviously you're home and a mum to a newborn baby and also a two-year-old. Um, so yeah. how were you going with that? It was an incredibly hard time in my life going through that. Um, yeah. And understandably I w- was suffering from um, some, um, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd call it a postnatal depression, but it was definitely, yeah. um, you know, the, the baby blues, um, that kind of thing. And I guess that, that just comes with adjusting to not just life with two kids, but to having a new baby that was so unexpected. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we knew he was coming, but we didn't know who he was going to be. And it was a big shock. So there was a lot to wrap my head around. Um, and it well, it was a really, really hard time. I pretty much, I stopped eating. I couldn't eat. Um, from the anxiety but then that was that started affecting my milk supply so then there was the stress of not being able to breastfeed him and um so I found that really hard but we just had such amazing support from everyone 
um, my best friend ordered some, you know, like my, my food bag and all that. So I, we always had food coming in, which was helpful because there was so much delicious food that I couldn't say no to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, but I, d- I did find it really hard. And um, I guess we kind of just shut off for a little bit um, just to give ourselves some time to wrap our head around it. And um, yeah, just go through the notions of, um, I guess, grieving for the child that we thought we were going to have, but coming to terms with the child that we did have. Yeah, because that's what it is. It is a, it is a grieving process, um, even though Leo is amazing and I wouldn't change him for the yeah, world. Yeah, of course. It's still, it yeah. is still such a shock to have to deal with something that is so unexpected and that you know nothing about. Yeah, and how did you go? I mean, I think it's amazing following you on Instagram and you share so many posts that I'm just like, wow, I learned something every day from you. Um, but how did you go at sort of finding out all of the information that you needed apart from your pediatrician? Were you trying to do your own research or were you just trying to stick with her and get guidance from her in that sort of early stage? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, I was too scared to Google anything, so... I didn't I didn't want to get any information that way. Um so I stayed away from that. But I also felt that the information that I was getting from my pediatrician was just so medical, you know, like yeah. she literally just sent me this file there was like 20 pages of informa- of medical information on achondroplasia. And I just couldn't I couldn't bring myself to read it because it was just too much and it was yeah, very. It seemed very outdated, and yeah, it just wasn't the way that I wanted to learn about it. So when I was at the hospital, I had, I had asked, I must have asked one of the doctors or the nurses or something or the midwife about um, what kind of support groups there were, and somebody had mentioned that there is a support group called LPNZ, which is Little People of New Zealand. So I found them on Facebook. Um, I found their Facebook page and I was just having a look through that page and I came across a picture of this gorgeous little girl. Um, Her name's Lila. And so I clicked on their page and it turned out that they live in Tauranga as well, um, which was just amazing. So I sent her mum a message and I um, just kind of introduced myself and, and let her know what had happened the past few days and, and she yeah. had actually already heard about us um, because my mum, bless her, had already contacted people um, that were a part of LPNZ. <laughs> so the word had got out that there was a new little boy born with a chondroplasia. And um, so, yeah, this mum had already heard about us and she was amazing. She just said, look, um, I'll come around tomorrow. Um, I'll bring you a cup of coffee and I'll bring you some clothes that will fit Leo because that was a struggle all the clothes that I had weren't fitting him so um so that was really awesome and she came around and sat with me and let me cry and let me vent and she was amazing and she she was I found that it was easier to learn through her because she had been through it with her daughter and she had a way of putting it that um, was just, you know, the, a way that I could understand the medical things. And um, and she, yeah, we just talked about everything. And that was a much easier way than sitting there and reading this really daunting piece of medical information yeah. that would have been sent by the paediatrician. So, um, and ever since then, that is how I have 
sought advice, either going to her or going to another um, one of the other people that we've met or even going online because I've got such a great source of information from all the other parents of little people. Um, there's Facebook pages. I'm friends with heaps of them on Instagram. So there's always people that I can go to that are a few steps ahead of me yeah. that I can just, um, yeah, get information from that way. And that's always a good way yeah. of getting it, I think, just firsthand information from people that have actually gone through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome that you've got such a great community of support and also that um, other people are able to learn from you and what you share as well. So I think that's, yeah, really awesome. Cool. And what about, I guess, any advice or anything that you would say to a new mum or a new family who may have just found out that maybe they aren't going to have the child that they were expecting when they were pregnant or similar to you, maybe they found out closer to their birth what what would you sort of say to them or what would be your words of advice it would be exactly what everybody else in this community had said to me and that everything is actually going to be okay um and that you probably don't feel like it's going to be okay but it will um it just takes time and time to understand and time to come to terms with things um you know the unknown is always going to be a scary thing but eventually yeah. the unknown just becomes your normal and there's nothing scary about your normal. So, um, yeah, it's, and there's just so, there's so much positivity. Um, there's so many positive things in this world of differently abled kids. You know, there's just, it's amazing. It just brings a whole new perspective to life. So I think you'll come out the other side being a better person for it. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice and um, I'm sure a lot of other people will get a lot out of that, so thank you. And I guess what's the um, relationship like between Leo and Bo now? I love watching them on Instagram, so I'd love to hear it from your perspective, how they are as brothers. Yeah, he actually did really well adjusting to having a little brother. Um, when we brought Leo home, he was actually really, really sick. Um, he had a double ear infection and he was just... He was not a happy kid. So the whole, you know, meet, having the two brothers meeting and everything, it wasn't exactly what we had hoped for. But, but yeah, I think because in the, in the weeks leading up to me giving birth to Leo, Bo had actually started acting out quite a bit and he just, you know, he wasn't going to bed. He was, you know, he was just being really difficult. And I think it was because he was, he knew that something was about to change, but he didn't know what it was because he could sense yeah. there was change in the air. But then once Leo arrived, it was almost like he was, he was kind of just like, oh, you know, is that all? It's just, we've got a new baby. That's, that's cool. And, and everything was great. And he was awesome with him. And now they've just got such a great little friendship. I mean, there's always, um, little tips between them and they can get quite rough with each <laughs> other, but that's, that's brothers. And that's what I love. Yeah. About it. I love that they're at the stage now where they can do that because for so long in the beginning, Part of what the reason why I was so upset was because I had, I felt like I'd let Bo down. I felt like I had planned on giving him this little brother, and then Leo arrived, and I thought that I had failed him, and you know I hadn't given him what I had told him he was getting. But I couldn't have been further from the truth, really, because yeah. Leo was everything that we had expected. He's he's the perfect little brother for for Bo. And I've actually given Bo so much more than I'd promised him anyway because he's going to learn so much from Leo, from having Leo as a parent. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it's been really great now that we're at this age where they can really interact and actually play together. And now that Leo's walking, um, they've just got this whole new level on, you know, that they've just reached a new level where they're actually really good buddies. And I waited a long time for that. And now that we're here, it's, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And what would you sort of tell, I guess, other parents or even just other adults who might listen to this podcast about um, children who are different to theirs? Or I know you've said quite a lot of on your Instagram about ways that you can sort of educate your children, not just that they know that these are different people to them or maybe different to their normal, but also that they're completely capable and able as well. Is there any advice that you'd give to other parents on sort of educating their children in that way? Yes, definitely. Um, I think <laughs> firstly, it's just so, so important to let your kids ask questions and to never hush them. I know firsthand how embarrassing it can be when your child asks a question in public about somebody that's different. And I know like all you want to do is just tell them to be quiet, but by doing that, you're teaching them that being different is a bad thing. Um, yeah. And they need to, they need to learn that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be different. So allow them to ask the questions. Um, if you feel like it's the right situation, then, then maybe suggest that they go and ask the person themselves uh, or go and introduce themselves and just say, Hey, I'm just wondering um, why is it that your legs are shorter or, you know, or ask the mum. But just allowing that conversation means it just, yeah, it makes such a huge difference from, um, you know, from hushing them. It's just, um, yeah. so I definitely encourage that. And I think, I yeah, just having having people know that just because they look different, they are still very capable of doing everything else that the other kids their age are doing um yeah I know I know that Leo looks different but he is still such a fun-loving little two-year-old and he just loves doing everything that two-year-olds do but sometimes <laughs> you just might have to find a different way of doing it and that's it but um yeah it's just important to know that they love the same things they probably watch the same tv shows play with the same toys and just you know, letting other kids know that they're, they've got all these similarities and a term used a lot in the, in the special needs community is more alike than different. So they've probably got more similarities than they do differences. And yeah, I, I just think that's a really important thing for everybody to know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think those are great tips. Thank you. And is there anything else that you would like to share in regards to your birth stories or just in general, sort of your journey with Leo and Bo? I think we've pretty much covered everything off, really. Um, especially in that in that last part where I just talked about, you know, just treating them, treating people with differences as you would anybody else. Um, yeah. And that's that's the main thing that I'm trying to get across to everyone by using my platform. Um, and doing podcasts like these, this is really awesome because it gives people a, a chance to listen to, um, yeah, to to how things happen for us and how we've adjusted to life and how anybody else could if they're in that situation. Um, it's not the it's not the hardest thing in the world. It's it actually becomes the biggest blessing, really. So yeah, yeah that's probably what I want to say. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories, Olivia. I really appreciate it. And I know that there are a lot of others out there who will too, because I get requests all the time to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) It's so nice to hear. (laughs) Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.